Check, 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 check. Oh, oh. Is it luscious? It's luscious, dude. Dude. Hit it. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So what's the topic, Rob? I feel like, well, first, we should probably give the listeners a little recap of our night. We're live from Blue Island right now. We've eaten dinner at Meatheads. I don't like to give free advertising, yes, but we did. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) Then we went to the batting cage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now we're sitting at your coffee table Mm -hmm. with a puzzle a spittoon, our entire soundboard, and cigars. Mm-hmm. Life is complete for me. I'm very it must be excited. Easter week. Yeah. Well, I would say the only thing that really struck me last week that I thought might be cool for the podcast, and you guys probably realize this, but Good Friday this year was on March 25th, mm-hmm. which like through the tradition would be that the day you were conceived was also the same day that oh yeah you died so that's why the that's why christmas is december 25th because the annunciation is the feast of march 25th right and so the tradition would say that jesus actually died on march 25th however mm-hmm. you want to do that and so we looked it up my pastor mentioned it to me that this year it was on march 25th and it won't be, <clears throat> it won't be on March twenty fifth again until like twenty one fifty seven. It's like one hundred and forty one years. Whoa, right. And so he get, he just kind of incorporated that into his homily a little bit. And I remember I was sitting there, and I was just thinking, I was like, I'm not going to be alive, maybe cryogenically frozen, mm-hmm. but certainly not alive when this comes around. the pace around. of technology and our level of income, Rob, it's crazy to think we won't live to 250. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. But the next time it comes around, right. I probably won't be around for it. And yeah, even like the little kids in this church, like they'll be, um, they'll have lived hopefully full and complete lives and will be like in their eternal rest at that point. But the cool thing, like, and it just kind of struck me during the Mass, was that, yeah, in 2157, or whenever this is, the next time this comes around, the Catholic Church is going to be celebrating the Good Friday liturgy. Hmm. And it's just very cool of, like, how much bigger the the Church is and stuff we talk about all the time. Like, this is this is real stuff that we are living and uh yeah i mean we're just uh like we get to live in a very brief echo of time and hopefully through cooperating with god's grace we get to uh, make the incarnation more and more present in the world but it's a very short amount of time that we have Mm -hmm. and the greatest men and women the greatest figures in history I mean, don't, like, what they accomplished, it means something. But I guess in in that type of history, it doesn't mean that much more than 
or any more than a stay-at-home mom or, you know, someone that has lived their life in a very small little way. And I don't know, that just, it very, it very much like struck me when he said that. And I just, I, that was the only thought that came through my head. I was like, man, I'll be long gone. But probably right here in Charleston, Illinois, some priest that has no idea who I am or Father John is or whatever will be here celebrating this liturgy, maybe in the same building, maybe not, mm-hmm. but the same thing. Uh, pretty cool. Reminds me of, uh, I can't remember when this was or what situation I was in, but I was looking at my phone, the calendar function on my phone, and you know, you can you can look at each day, or you click a week at a time or a month at a time to get to the date you want to put a thing in or see what you have to go in that day. But you can also go a year at a time, and it shows like the whole 12-month calendar on your little phone screen, and you can just scroll up to the next year, and then up to the next year, and and like if you if you do a quick swipe, it can go like five years forward. And I remember uh, thinking like, okay, that year I'll be 40. That year I'll be 60. And then just like a couple more swipes up and I'm like, yeah, I'll probably be dead by then. Mm. And it, that was a pretty weird feeling to think like a couple swipes on my thumb and I, I'm not going to be alive anymore mm. uh, in this age. You know, and thinking like there's kids alive right now that are going to be alive the next time the century turns. In all likelihood, it's already 16 years into this century. Um, you only have to get to, what, 84, right? <laughs> I thought <Okay>. 92. <laughs> no, it's 87. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I did math. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, man, and it's uh, especially Feast of the Resurrection, like a lot of my meditation and a lot of my preaching was on like that if this isn't true if jesus my homily was like you know they figured out the world is probably 4.5 billion years old something like that the earth and the bible if you took it literally from the creation narrative on says the world's only six thousand years old something like that so does that challenge our faith does science challenge our faith and do we have to throw the word of the word of god out because it's not right on these factual questions of natural history no because the genesis account is not uh, meant to be a factual historical account of how god created the world like literally speaking um, because it's not it's not recounting events that there were people there to witness and then they wrote it down and handed it on through tradition versus like the stories of say abraham or Isaac and Jacob's sons, like those are real historical figures whose names are, you know, those names. And they're, yeah, they were probably oral histories and stuff, but the various like gradations of historical, literal interpretation of the Bible. And I said, okay, but what about if they found the bones of a man from Nazareth buried in Jerusalem who were about 33 years old and they could verify he was crucified. And this is actually the bones of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he actually just died and that was it. And the whole thing was a hoax. Then could we, could we massage it and still get some meaning out of the Bible and say like, Oh, but the the ideas are true and blah, blah, blah. I said, no, it's just fairy tales. If Jesus, if that's a lie that these guys didn't actually see him die and then see him rise from the dead or see him risen from the dead, at least, then it's not worth anything. Like we, 
we still die. That's it. That's the end of the story. Um, I should have to get a real job. We should do something much more meaningful and entertaining with our Sundays than sit around and sing songs and eat bread together. Um, that it's just not that special. Like, if if his teachings are all that live on, then why give up a family? Why give up our money or whatever? But if it is true, which it is, then everything must change. Like our whole lives have to turn upside down because none of this stuff that we see here in this world will last forever. Maybe before Jesus rose from the dead, the best we could do was like have a successful legacy and have people remember our names and have statues made of us because we were just going to die and our ashes were going to become dust and blow away. But now that we know that this isn't our permanent home and that we will live forever in eternum, then that's all that matters. Why would you invest anything in the, that's Jesus's pearl of great price. Like why would you invest anything where moths can destroy and thieves rob when you can invest in your eternal crown in heaven that will last forever. And, uh, what that means is that, that we're not just sitting around eating little pieces of bread and singing songs. It's that we're giving thanks to God for giving us absolutely everything and worshiping the bread that is God. And nothing else matters um, except that it draws us deeper into that mystery. But, we, you know, all of us, myself included, priests, lay people, men, women, and children, all have to be converted to that because the stuff right in front of us always demands our attention more than eternity does. But uh, I think that's really true. Like you think about the Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. It's seen and done a lot, and it will see and do a lot more after we're gone. But uh, it's so tempting to think that like my life is the most important life because this happens to be the time that I'm alive. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking too, I mean, a Holy Week, a big reflection in it for me as well, that question of why not invest totally in eternal life, and not taking not taking prudence out of it or anything like that, like not taking the good in the world away from it or responsibility, money, etc. But I don't know, like that that just question was like very directed at myself this holy week. Of I mean, we yeah, we could always find how messed up our world is and where our like how messed up our priorities are. But literally, as I would like do a little examine, I mean, daily, there would be conscious decisions on my part to, yeah, live for this life right now and not for the next, daily. Um, it was just like a stark reminder to me <clears throat> of, yeah, how much I have to grow, I guess. Um but it is, it, and it's wrapped up in divine providence and human freedom, man, is like the hardest question to even di- dive into prayerfully. Totally. But I don't know, like I feel very free in that choice like every day to, yeah, live live for heaven and really do it with, you know, frankly, a reckless uh, abandon or try to secure myself in in this life and that's a it's it's one of those spots i know it's a spot that god is working because when i go to the chapel with it it just makes me squirm 
mm. you know, and not in not in a painful way, not like not some angry God at me in a microscope, but it's like, you know, it's like when you were a junior high kid and you had a shiner and like, you know, your dad wants to talk to you about it mm-hmm. and like, but you just, you don't want to talk to him about it because you don't want to tell him what happened or mm-hmm. whatever. And like, he kind of just keeps asking you until you're ready to, to talk about it. So I don't know. It's a, it's a cool spot, but it's just, it's very real. Well, and it, my prayer during Holy Week was a lot of it was based on something you said, Juice, last podcast about St. Therese and her prayer at the end of her life was like, Jesus, you draw me to yourself and you'll draw all these people connected to me. Yeah. To you with me. And uh, that to me has been the the way I experience like investing in eternity mm-hmm. is investing in relationship. Like I, I tweeted out this thing I just uh, occurred to me in meditation solitary existence is a contradiction in terms the more i experience being myself and existing and what's real the more i realize like it's just connection the only thing that's real is your connection to other people first to god and that's why like alone in your room you're never more you're never less alone than when you're alone physically because you are connected to the one who is relationship itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's all very abstract and beautiful, but like this Holy Week, my great pride was these kids, this youth group that I've been building relationships with for two and a half years or whatever, since I was a deacon here, basically. And uh, all we did was play soccer at first, and then for last year we've done a Bible study, and then this Lent, I just told him, I was like, if you guys want to invest in doing this living stations of the cross, it's going to be a bunch of work for me, but I'll do it if you guys want to do it. And they were all on board and high school kids and some are Catholic school, some are public school and all from different walks. And up until we did this, it was kind of clicky and whatever. Each, each group had their own, like people they hung out with, people they were cousins with or whatever. But this really united them. And it was hard to get him to take it seriously, but, and I'd never directed a play before. I felt like Charlie Brown in the Christmas play. Right. You're just like, nobody respects me and <laughs> does what I say. And you have to go from like, nobody can imagine this because I've never seen it. Only you have it in your head and you have to make yeah. them do it. Get a pull to Father Oaks. And, You're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't everyone just listen to me? <laughs> I did, I did feel like a, more like a dad than I ever have as a priest. Like, it's getting frustrated and kind of yelling, but then like also loving, like, I love you. That's why I'm so mad at you kind of thing. <laughs> um, Did but you no- have a tall chair that you sat in? I and wish. a beret. With, that would have lent me much more and, gravitas. Yeah. And like a yelling microphone. A, one of those. <laughs> Just a cone. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes with a, a handle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could have used a traffic cone. Yeah. We practice mostly inside though, but. It uh it went really, really well. And it also was a great moment for the parish. Like a bunch of people helped make costumes, sang songs. We had this guy with a truck last minute. Our guy with the truck bailed on us. So this other guy had to run home, get a Silverado and like hook up a generator and all the speakers and stuff for the choir. And it was a great moment for the town. We walked through town and and did this whole thing. And hundreds of people came and we crucified the kid in the park and Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And he took it really, Good for you. the kid that was Jesus took it super serious yeah. and 
his parents came and I don't, I don't know that they come to church that often, but they were like thanking me effusively for letting him be Jesus. Wow. And, and, uh, that was the day after, you know, washing people's feet on Holy Thursday. And these people who I've now, I know very well from being here for a couple of years and washing their feet. And, and then after the Via Crucis, I had the Good Friday service. And again, that's just more, you know, watching these little kids come up and kiss the cross kids that I know from school and I've taught how to be altar servers and women bringing their babies up to kiss the cross and old ladies coming and then Easter vigil I had taught RCIA all year in English and Spanish which is a big challenge and a lot of investment in relationship there and working every week to teach news topics and I did it where we met in people's houses and stuff and their kids were around and I don't know it was just like this was the first full year flavor of what parish priesthood really looks like and feels like and then to watch that like three of them be baptized and 18 of them confirmed and like sitting there i finally was sick on sunday morning i woke up with a sore throat just not sleeping enough and taking care of myself but my prayer all week was just like lord you're connecting me to all these people i'm i'm just like by the virtue of my sacramental character as a priest and my being here in this particular time and place i'm connected to all these people, I know their names, they know my name. And, uh, you know, if I had been born 100 years later, I never would have known any of these people, you know. If I had been born 100 years earlier, same difference. Like, you just, ha- it's the scandal particularity. You happen to be in this place at yeah. this time, and these are the people God puts in your life, and you invest in eternity by drawing them to yourself and drawing yourself to God or being drawn. And this whole momentum toward eternity is just like, it's a magnet in a lot of ways, but we can resist it. We can turn away. And our job is just to like gather, gather, gather. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens, but it's messy. You know, you have to end up, you end up finding yourself yelling at 12 year olds and trying to get them to listen to you to do this play. And it's like just so ordinary, (laughs) so ordinary. But then when I see one of those kids, the head soldier from the passion play in the back of church on Easter vigil, and he's got, no family there. It's like him and his sister who played the Virgin Mary just sitting back there. Mm. And he's got this brown scapular that I gave them all on over his shirt and standing in the back row of church just like taking it all in. And I'm just like, yes, this is like, I want to make mature disciples and and leave an imprint on this place. Not so that my name is remembered, but so that we all get drawn into eternity together. And it's That's- like, booyah. Yeah, one thing you said there, the scandal of the particularity. Um, the newly ordained guy that I'm with, he so I got to be a <laughs> I got to be a Roman soldier for the live stations at my parish. You were in it? <laughs> I was in it. And I was like three feet taller than everybody else. Actually we had a pretty big Jesus. We had a pretty big Jesus. Um and I won't go into the whole story, but when we crucified him, we uh he's a like a larger, larger Hispanic dude, about my age awesome guy and we hoisted him up i'm talking about with ropes on either oh, side yeah. like way the heck up there Holy yeah crap. and we had it on a stage it was like the first time we ever had the stage there and so the stage was probably three feet off the ground and am i i'm picturing this outdoors this is outdoors yeah oh this is outdoors and when we when we hoisted him up we had this wedge and he kind of got stuck in the base of it and then we moved the wedge and it sunk all the way down immediately to the ground 
So like the elevated stage, three feet to the ground, and the weight of everything cracked his foot stand, and he shattered right through it and fell off of the cross. Oh my like, gosh! Like three, I don't know. He's probably four or five feet off the ground himself, and then the all the and so everyone, oh, oh, oh my gosh! And so then they kind of re- reconnected it all together. I'm one of the one of the Romans standing there, one of the soldiers. And we put him back up there and end up crucifying him. But the the newly ordained priest was watching all this, and he's kind of a shorter guy. <clears throat> and he noticed with the scandal, the particularity, he was probably three or four people back in the crowd, maybe maybe a little bit more. And he was like, "Yeah, I struggled to even see what was going on. Like I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, I had no clue what was really happening except I know the story and." The sound is coming in and out, and they got the speakers in the back of this guy's truck, and there's mobs of people that are going. But he had no clue what was going on. Like, he had no clue who Jesus was. He didn't know who was playing Jesus. Wow. And the reality of, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they tortured and crucified people this exact same way, but people were crucified all the time. They executed people. Mm -hmm. And the scandal of the reality that, like, even if someone was there— seven rows back seven people back and all of our salvation is resting on this guy's shoulder leading through yeah. jerusalem or even a mile over the town next door humanity is being saved and redeemed and you are the same place the same time like two people too far back to see the face of god dying for love of you and the reality of yeah the scandal of that particularity um, humanity is being redeemed and saved right in front of you and you, you can't even get a glimpse at it. And so like what I've, what I've seen here, what I'm imagining as like you started with, yeah, kind of how short life is. And then you talking about your Holy week, like, yeah, our lives, they are just a breath, but in the Triduum, it's all summed up the whole divine action of God is summed up into three days, into one liturgy. And so, like, yeah, our lives are ultimately insignificant in a lot of ways. And, you know, God, of course, loves us infinitely and perfectly. uh, But we're one life among billions and billions. Uh, But God takes the entire history of his action and sums it down to three days. It's in one liturgy, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Mm -hmm. Easter Vigil, and puts all of creation through salvation history. And we get to live out the entire history of humanity in three days. And so I, it just is a constant reminder. And the Triduum does such a beautiful job of like God's action is the story that we're talking about. And we are entirely being saved all, all the time. We are entirely being saved. And to recognize our own littleness in that and then to see how far God goes for us to sum up sum up all of human history in this particular moment for us to experience in three days his entire love for all of humanity and we get to experience that in like the span of two and a half nights that's insanity dude only like the wisdom of the church one but then the beauty of the Lord and right. how much he's constantly coming to to save us all the time, all the time. You know, when, Bisk, when you were describing 
just like how proud you were of these kids and kind of this triumph of the ordinary of mm-hmm. like this this mess that actually became <laughs> something very beautiful. The image that came to me, I don't know if we've ever talked about this and on the cast or not, but the image that came to me was that really iconic uh, World War II photo of the sailor kissing the nurse in mm-hmm. Times Square. And I don't even know why that, that did, but it was just like the, the perfect picture of, like, I don't know, just a unity, but also just like a, a triumph of humanity in that that was just a sliver of the triumph that you're you know talking about that but mm-hmm. the image kind of holds with what you're describing and that image it's like for me at least like that particular image is one of my my favorites ever um what are you but, saying because like in all the hell of that war how the u.s like <clears throat> banded together and well think about like I've, just, I've thought about that picture before, and I've never read anything on it to know like the particulars of it or anything. You can't see either okay. of their faces, right? I don't think so. Not that I know of, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the the little bit I've read about just that World War II era and what the war years were like. My grandma, my only, um, yeah, my only grandparent who is still alive is my, my grandma Dar, and I saw her on Easter, which was... Great, she's doing really well. But she'll tell once in a while, she's told me the story like two or three times of she grew up in St. Louis in the city. And one of her earliest memories, I think she was born in 1938, and one of her earliest memories is when the war was over. And she said her dad got like the whole family and put them in the car. So she was in the back seat. She was, you know, six or whatever. Um, and she was in the backseat of this car, and they just drove around St. Louis on these, like, floods of people. And everyone was honking, and, like, everyone was waving out their windows. And, like, the whole city was out. Wow. And she remembers this as a little girl just going around honking with her dad driving because the war was over. And we had won. No kidding. And uh, and so it's just it's one of the coolest stories my grandma has ever told me. But just you think about that going back to that picture it's like yeah you read stories of those guys that went over to fight in world war ii and very consistently what i've read is like they they operated under the assumption that they weren't going to come back alive mm-hmm. so like in you know even if you watch something like band of brothers that's one of the things i caught oh yeah pretty pretty continually throughout it of the real interviews is they said to in order to function you had to assume you were dead mm-hmm. and you weren't coming back and then you know, a very small number did. So this guy coming back, um, you know, and at least the narrative that we grew up with was like we had just saved the world mm-hmm. in that war. And we were the great heroes like coming home in that. And just the unity then as a nation like all culminates right there, like Times Square in New York City because the war is over. And the only thing I've ever read on that picture is that the guy did not know the nurse that he kissed. Oh, really? Yeah. So he had no idea who she was. Oh, it was that's just hilarious. like a beautiful girl, and he went up and kissed her. And it was like, I have no idea if they ever knew each other after that or anything right. like that. But it was just like, the, like the moment. The jubilation of the moment. Yeah, the jubilation of the moment <sighs> was like, and there's something, yeah, I mean, if 
a guy goes up and just randomly kisses a girl today, like that's a lawsuit, you know, is what that is. But there's something when anyone looks at that picture that's extremely right about mm-hmm. that picture somehow. So it's just a mystery that, I don't know, I feel like it gives us just like a shred to talk about. Well, you know, it yeah, just you're talking about that easy company from Band of Brothers and that assumption like we're not, you have to assume you're just not coming home in order to stay sane and in order to operate successfully. Like if you, it, it's kind of like Christ's imperative that, you know, whoever will lose his life will save it. It's like, that's no more obvious than the guy stuck in the foxhole in that movie. I think there's one episode where the guy can't get out of the foxhole because he's so terrified. He can't get out and fight because he's just so unwilling to risk even getting up where the bullets are flying. But it's a a death sentence to just stay where you are. Mm -hmm. So you have to risk your life in order to save it. Like that's literally true in war, but it's true in life too. Like if you, if you just try to, go through life protecting yourself from every eventuality where there might be suffering or people rebuking you or rejecting you or your reputation being marred or whatever because you take risks. You just have to assume you're not getting out of this alive. The whole memento mori thing. like Assume that this life is passing away and that you're dying one day at a time and get out of your foxhole and go fight and do it. And it, it's a dumb example, but the guy, these guys that used to fight fires up in Alaska, which is where I kind of wanted to f- end up fighting fires if I kept on that road. If I had done it one more year, I, I would have gone up there. But they say that the mosquito up there is just, first of all, they're like gigantic and they're just everywhere. And um, I hate oh. big mosquitoes, dude. They are nasty. And up there, it's like... <laughs> they are nasty, they dude. Are. They say that the the rookies, they don't even let them use bug juice because... Like bug spray? Yeah. Okay. Because it doesn't... It'll just make you go insane. If you even have the idea that some amount of bug spray or whatever is going to alleviate the agony of being constantly bit by mosquitoes, all you're going to be thinking about is the mosquitoes. You have to get over the threshold of like, this is just my life for six months that I'm constantly clouded by these things while I sleep, while I work, while I eat. They're everywhere. Hmm. And then once you get over that, then it's just, okay, fine. You're just getting bit all the time. It's not going to kill you. You know, people have done this for decades and you don't die of mosquito bites, but it's just annoying. And uh, I think of that that with, with life sometimes. Like if you just are constantly trying to alleviate every little inconvenience or annoyance to have the perfect life. You'll never have it. You just have to get over yeah. that stuff to get to the point where you can like really do something productive and interesting with your life. Mm. You know, and maybe that's what the investment in eternity looks like is is getting over the idea that your investments in temporality are temporal. Like that I could start this Via Crucis here or whatever else I'm starting here at this parish or whatever other parish I'll be at in the future or wherever I am in the future, that whatever project I do will uh, affect a sliver of humanity, the smallest infinitesimal portion of this gigantic thing we call humanity, which is only the humanity that happens to be alive at this sliver of time, 
when so much of humanity has died and so much of humanity is not even alive yet. And it'll just pass away into the dust of time, into the hourglass and be done with. And then I'll disappear and be in a grave. And then someday there will be a golf course on that cemetery. And like, you know, and just nobody will remember us. And that's okay. Like, get over it. But get out of your foxhole and go do something. And that's, and and the mystery of it is that is what actually invests in eternity is like these relationships that built, like you, like Cardinal George said, you only take with you what you gave away in life. Like you, you, love is what endures. Solitary existence is a contradiction in terms. What endures is your connection, your investment in the other. And it's those relationships that you take into eternity. And I think that when I go to heaven, I want a bunch of people waiting for me that I buried and prayed for and anointed and heard their first confessions or whatever and saying them to say to God, this is our priest, let him in. Yeah. Uh, and that, if that's all I invest in in my life, then good. And of course I'm going to wake up tomorrow and you know, my car wheel is going to squeak and I'm going to want to fix that. And like, that's the most temporal thing in the, and I'm just going to worry about money or what, you know, whatever else. Uh, but on my best days, that's what I'm thinking about. I think. Relax. Yeah, and it, it is kind of a, I don't know, there is like a notion of balance in there too, or just clarity that it's not saying that none of this stuff matters. But if you put Christ at the center of your life, if the, the resurrection is the primary reality that you're living in, we've talked about this a lot of, it's not that nothing else matters, it's that everything else matters. Like, that's the great move of Catholicism. Or the point that you said, it was probably a month ago, that really struck me was the fact is that we aren't lovable except for the reality that we are loved. That's what makes us lovable. So yeah, like this notion of whatever, you know, it's... uh like getting your your tires fixed on your car is important because it it matters like how you live this life. I think of um I don't know, like the vacations that you know, my parents took us on when we were growing up and and teaching us responsibility with money and relationships and different things like that because that's the stuff of like in this temporal life, in this particularity that we are living, that stuff is important. But if that's what's driving your life, it's incredibly, I don't, I, and it can become, but like even to throw out sinful seems to not fit to me. The word that like strikes me more deeply there is that it's boring. Mm-hmm. But if you put that in the context of, the primary relationship in your life being that of the resurrected Christ, a living God living in and through you, then all of a sudden everything matters. And you, I guess you see that that's Balthazar's whole thing, right? Is that like the Theo drama of salvation history is that a drama that's being played out. And so, yeah, I guess Maybe for me, like when I heard my grandma tell me that story the first time of driving around St. Louis and her dad honking the horn and waving to everybody because we had just won the war, um, there was a part of me that was like, man, 
um, I'm never going to be able to experience anything like that, like in our generation, in our lifetime. And it's true in a sense, or that, that soldier that had just come back from like this great victory in World War II and, and kissed this nurse in Times Square. Um, and yeah, like I won't be able to experience it in that way, but the fullness of life that is offered in that image, like I'm just more and more convinced, is offered to us but it plays out in the particular, in the ordinary, you know? And so, whatever. I think of, like, my sister and how big of a deal, like, when her daughter finally got potty trained, it was. And that was, like, the greatest victory for them <laughs> in the world of, like, how much of a difference that they get made in, the car in their and lives. Hot the horn and they would have, the I think, of honestly. Were just like honestly, they would have. But that's my point, is, like, I'm not comparing them on a historical scale, but like life in the resurrection can transform your life that much that that stuff matters. Totally. I think about like this podcast, for instance. To Tell me more. Home. Yeah, dude, we don't talk about ourselves enough. Well, and that brings up a, kind of the point that I was going to say, and I won't name any names, but I, especially when I was first putting this up online, I was looking at a, a lot of other podcasts that were kind of just starting out and various different persuasions, some Catholics, some not. And I noticed a pattern that a lot of times in like the first episode of a podcast, the subject of the podcast was the podcast. And uh, I remember just thinking, this is so boring. Like, I don't want to hear about what you want this podcast to be. Just make the podcast what it is. And then we'll see if we like it or not. You know, I think our first one was superheroes. Something like that. Like we... No, the first line, the first line is, you know, TV isn't what it used to be. I think that was his first line. Something like that. But uh, if if we were doing this, I think just from my personal perspective, if we if we were doing this podcast from the very beginning to like try to get listeners or even to try to like evangelize or some means to as a some means to an end rather than we just go like talking and this gives us a enough pressure to talk about interesting things and and deep things and that's something we should be doing anyway that it's i don't know that we've got a ton of listeners but it's the longevity of it we'll almost have 100 episodes by the end of this year um and that that's the whole like making it about something else you know like the potty training isn't about the potty training it's about something it's about you know creating a human life and and raising a person to be a productive citizen a son or daughter of god and all that like this bigger vision that you have for a person's life that you are entrusted with as a parent potty training is part of the process of civilizing a human being which is itself it's an end in itself it's just a beautiful thing to have been a part of yeah the potty training it is a good thing it's a good it's a necessary thing (laughs) but that's to rob's point both like it, it's both important in and of itself and there's significance. But I think the reason you can take delight in the process mm-hmm. of it is because it's part of a bigger right. goal, sure. Sure. you know? Yeah. And I guess that's, that's what it is. Like if, if vacations, we all remember cool summer vacations from when we were a kid and, and, you know, but what really sticks with us is the people that we were with, the family and the cool things that we did with the people. If it was just like, I'm trying to, 
amass experiences and do cool things and go skydiving and hella skiing and bull all riding this, bull all this riding. stuff it's like if you you know people do that and god bless them they just try to have a bunch of experiences but i would get bored by that like there's just not that many experiences to have and it's sort of like when you sit down and uh i had this experience the other night i couldn't sleep the other night it was the weirdest thing after easter sunday masses i could feel i had this sore throat coming on and uh, i didn't tell you guys this right so Easter Sunday, I woke up, I had a sore throat, and I knew I was starting to get sick. And I'd just been burning the candle both ends for too long with the Triduum and Holy Week and everything. So after Masses were over, I took a long nap. And it was probably like two and a half hours I slept, which might have been the the bad move that I did. Because then I, I go up to my parents' house and had dinner. And I'm just like deliriously tired. So I have a coffee, and then I have another coffee after dinner. And... Uh, and I get down here at 10 and I'm still like, I could barely keep my eyes open driving home to the parish. And I, I get in bed, pray night prayer, yada, yada, yada. And then I, like two hours later, I'm wide awake. Hadn't fallen asleep. I'm just like, it's midnight. And I'm like, I don't want to be awake right now. I want to be sleeping. I can feel I'm getting sick. I know I need to sleep a long time tonight. Thankfully, I don't have anything going on tomorrow, but I don't want to waste my whole day sleeping. But two hours in, I'm just like, this is, I'm just getting mad that I'm not asleep right now. I was like on my knees praying like, God, I don't want to be awake right now. Please. I beg you. I know I can't make myself fall asleep, but uh, it made me realize like what a hell insomnia would be. This is, this is very rarely happened. This has never happened to me this acutely because then I get out of bed. I just like, I go take a shower because like, I didn't know what to do. And then I, I still couldn't fall. I thought maybe I'm just hot or something. That's why I can't sleep. And then I get back in bed. I still can't sleep. So I get up and I w- I'm like, I'll just watch some TV or something. So I go on Netflix on the TV and I'm like, what do I even want to watch? And I found myself for like maybe f- 10 minutes just scrolling through a bunch of different things. And I was like, none of this. I don't want to watch any of this. And then I realized, well, yeah, it's because I don't want to watch anything right now. I want to be asleep right now. So I'll just pick something. And... I watched some Mad Men, which I'd watched some, uh, I had been watching a little bit before Lent, but hadn't watched it all in the last couple months. And it's a depressing show. I don't think I'll ever watch again. It's just so nihilistic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I watched two of them and I was just like, this is so unfulfilling. And I finally, I think I was tired enough. I laid in bed for another half hour. I fell asleep. But it was just such a nightmare to be in this place where it's like, I don't want to do anything right now. I can't make myself want same thing when you're like going through your music and, and you're like, what am I in the mood to listen to? And you can't choose because there's nothing that's like speaking to you. I think of that as the life of trying to amass temporal experiences in order to give you some kind of transcendent joy. Like whether or not it's skydiving or some like super ecstatic experience like doing LSD or some something. Like if you're just looking for transcendent experiences on the plane of imminent ones, it is a necessarily frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. But if you are concentrated on the, the real transcendence, which is relationship, which is raising children, which is uh, the mundane stuff of relationships and, and family and marriage and vocation and ministry or whatever walk of life you're in, then the mundane takes on a flavor of transcendence, you know? So 
being around people that, you know, you wouldn't have chosen to be around or doing things that you wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do can be these triumphal moments where you later on in reflection or examine or prayer, you're just like, yeah, this is a huge, huge moment, huge grace, uh, to watch a person change this way or to be a part of someone's life where they awaken to something deeper. And, um, but that, Oh, that experience of trying to make yourself happy, try like knowing that you don't knowing that you're upset or frustrated or restless and having no option like can't you can't think of a single thing that will make you happy oh that's a nightmare yeah Mm -hmm. and another thing yeah because the question is like what am i actually desiring and it yeah it's interesting because you you go in and then like we talked about whenever you go in and you find that desire you're always pointed up and it's i don't know it's a crazy thing but i think that's the importance of like yeah knowing our destiny what do you what are you created for for relationship for love for union for union with other people with god ultimately obviously um but it i don't know my experience at least in internship is yeah i I don't know what ministry is. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know how to do ministry. And I, all that I be church to people, dude, I don't, honestly, <laughs> I do not know how to be church to people. I don't know how to be church to people either. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You know, I, that's because it doesn't mean anything. I don't think it does. <laughs> I don't think it does, but I think it's an example of people trying to do the little thing instead of like having the big picture idea. And, the best way that I've found to actually evangelize or spread the gospel or just like grow in relationship with people is when I am straight up wasting time with kids. I know that sounds strange, but the time that I grow closest to the kids is when I'm just there loving them. And it struck me like we can give people tons of stuff. But how many people in the world are willing to waste their time for you? Mm-hmm. Totally. Time is money. Mm-hmm. Time it's time is cost. money. Yeah. And the times that I've grown closest with whoever I'm spending, who, whoever I'm with in the parish, wanting to be a father for somebody or wanting to be there to love somebody always comes when I am just being with them and whatever that looks like. And... I think it invites one to live into the moment, but two to also, yeah, have that idea of the, the transcendent is present in the, in the very mundane particular, the very mundane particular. We I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just had, I had two teens that I've been pretty close with and they dropped their story on me of like one night after the fish fry, their parents were super late and they dropped the story about like when they were young and their parents had to abandon them so that they could get across from whatever Honduras to America. Mm. And it was like a heart-wrenching, I mean, it was a heart-wrenching story. And I would never, ever have heard that mm, unless right. I was sitting there wasting hours of time with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, even I was, that's, yeah, really beautiful. But I was even thinking like, just the reality that it has to be um we we can't make ourselves happy 
and it, it does have to be on God's terms. Like I, I you know, you look ridiculous right now, Bisk. By the way, yeah. um, you really do. But just sitting here, I was like laughing to myself about how much fun this is that we went and you know jacked around at batting cages and <laughs> ate burgers for dinner. And are sitting in your room, you know, smoking cigars. This and is the life, man. It is the life. But I was, I thought <laughs> back of, yeah, kind of the beginnings of this podcast, like up on the cam together in my room, messing around, not knowing not how knowing to work, like what we were doing, the at all. simplest microphone <laughs> ever. And we were still recording into the computer. <laughs> and <laughs> we almost did it again. But it was like, there's a part of me, and this is kind of like reliving it in a sense. This is the first time the three of us have been together for a year. I don't know. Yeah, um, something like that. But And it's very awesome. But at the same time, like I would not trade the experience I've, I've had away from you guys for anything. Like it's not, had we just said like, oh, this is so awesome. Cam life is, is so great. Let's stay here forever right. and record these podcasts that are so much fun for this long. That would suck after like a month. Totally. Um, and so it's cool to like, in a sense, kind of relive it tonight. But I mean, yeah, when's the next time we're going to get together in reality? God knows. And that reminds me of a time that I I was at my buddy Pete's place. And uh, it was one of my days off. I think I was in the seminary still. Maybe I was on a break and I stayed at his place and he was in the middle of doing something. But he... I somehow got on one of his computers and I had a bunch of photos of when we were in college together and he, he was really good at taking pictures and I never did, but it had pictures from, that I'd like never seen before of times that I remembered. Sometimes you, you don't even remember like what was going on. It just like sets you back in the scene of being on the do- in the dorm with the guys. And, um, I remember looking at these photos and it was like a vortex for me because I was getting really sad that these times were over and I was never going to be with these guys in this kind of situation. I was never going to be 20, 19 years old with no concrete idea of what the future held, just like living in the moment and every, all the good things that college is. But at the same time, when you take a realistic view of it, you're like, yeah, that's a pretty unstable time. Like you don't know, <laughs> you have no idea who you are. You have, you really have no idea how to live yet. Yeah. Like you, you have all this freedom, but you have no idea how to use it sleep till noon you're just wasting so much yeah. of this golden opportunity of getting an education and oh yeah to- youth is wasted on the young uh and but it, it, for some reason in that moment i was just like in this depressive mood of like that time is just gone it's like dust in the wind man mm-hmm. and uh you can you can look at life like that like I remember even in college when we would make fun of people who said college is the best four years of your life, dude. And you're like, wow, that's a super sad thing to say. <laughs> so you, I was your best just years, thinking that your best years are over when you're 22. And yeah. even then, like your, your last year is just like this, this sort of Damocles is hanging over you the whole time. Like yeah, you, the yeah. best of your life is almost over. <laughs> college yeah. was the best seven years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I've had dads tell me that like next to their daughters, oh, like gosh. this guy, Ooh, this little girl over here. Trust me, enjoy it while you have it. Enjoy those college years. Like, really? Your daughter's right here. Friday night those are the best the years? Tim McGraw tells his son when he's a quarter, he's a linebacker or whatever on the team. It's like, you get four years, okay? 
and telling him he's got to like win the state championship. Otherwise, he's going to be miserable for the rest of his life. <laughs> this is the best time in your life with all the girls and the sports and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But uh, I had a thought. It reminded me of a, um, what we were talking about before with uh, like not being able to make ourselves happy. Mm-hmm. You guys ever watched the show Father Brown? The show? Yeah, like off it, the Chesterton, right? Right, it, the books are by Chesterton. I, like, I, I've watched it. You've made me watch it I here. Watched, yeah, I really like it. It's, uh, I think they is it like BBC or something? Yeah, it's like a BBC show. Okay, I don't. And uh, the guy that plays Father Brown's great, and you know he's walking around solving mysteries. And in one episode, he finds himself in this like hedonist house. Like mm. these people are avowed hedonists, and so they you know eat and drink and be merry and orgies and whatnot not nihilists not nihilists those people are cowards these men are cowards um no but uh this woman who's like the matron of the house thinks it's so funny that a priest i think they broke down or something and they just found the nearest house and that's they end up in of course like some kind of crime happens and he has to solve it but she says something to him about how you know the religious are always so um eager to squash happiness like people's attempts at being happy and i remember even thinking as she was saying it like wow that you know that seems like a uh kind of biting criticism you know why why limit people's desire to be happy but he is the simplest chestertonian rebuke and father brown goes ah yes happiness it's such a strange bird one never hits it when one aims at it and I thought, that was such a good comeback. <laughs> because, like, the people in this house are obviously so miserable, and they and they portray it as much. But it's also true in reality. Like, you don't need to make a play of it. The people who are really concentrated on making themselves happy are often the most miserable people, whose family lives are a wreck. And, oh, man, that's so true. You know? Yeah. But those who are doing something for the sake of not being happy, but, like, doing something productive or creative or... Uh, serving others are the most joyful people yeah and that is just a a law of nature you know you talk about the natural law it's not you know your hair your hair grows from your face so nature wants you to have a beard so you shouldn't shave like that's not the natural law yeah the natural law is being attentive to those aspects of our humanity that make us human Mm -hmm. uh on an interior level and you can observe these things in nature. Like the happiest people are the ones who don't worry so much about being happy. Oh, man, that's so true. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.